this morning I'd like to do a teaching on the two outstanding biblical personalities and after a couple of hints here I'm sure we'll catch on who they are they both were absolutely outstanding biblical persons they came from the same country of Israel they had the same name they came from the same tribe of Benjamin little teachers inside Benjamin is the one tribe where you can call the adherents Benjaminites or Benjamites. That's just the teacher in me. I can't help it. Both are right. Both from Israel. Both from Benjamin. Both with the same name. Both outstanding personalities. But now you've got the name, right? You can talk to me. Is it? Saul. Saul. The first had a good beginning but a bad, sad, tragic ending. And the second had a bad beginning, but a good ending. So we'd like to do a study in contrast, if you would, a comparative study of these two men, outstanding men in the Bible. Allow me to share this about a good beginning and a bad ending, or vice versa. No one has any choice in the circumstances of our birth. I had no choice as to the country in which I would be born. I was born in Chennai. No choice. I was born, but I am a Bangalore Babu. Okay, I grew up from here. <laughs> no choice that I would be born in the Taylor family with an Anglo-Indian, Kannadiga, Tamilian, Telugu, Malayali, North Indian. No choice. Fact. Now, you know me to be a bit transparent, so please be the same with me. I grew up wondering, why was I born here? Why couldn't I have been born in the USA? Don't tell me you didn't think like that. That's the case, you've never applied for a visa? Come on. You know? <laughs> I thought those thoughts, but I had no choice. But the point is this, my friend. No matter what your origins, country of birth, family of birth, or your beginnings, when you come to the age of understanding, if you submit your life to Jesus Christ, He can change a bad beginning into a good ending. And by the way, today, I thank God that I was born in India. I learned some life lessons at the age of eight. I walked with my bag of heavy books from Austin Town to Bishop Cotton Boys. Sometimes I literally got a headache putting the strap on my head. And we had many mornings for breakfast. One thin pancake with black coffee because we could not afford the money for the milk in the coffee. And the pancake was so thin it only had one side to it. Thank you for laughing. That part was a joke. But it was a thin pancake, all right. Then if you got to school late, you were made to run two laps around the field on that one thin pancake. I praise God for the values he had me learn here. That God makes no mistakes. 
And he also knows exactly how to run his business. Beware lest you try giving him tips as to how to do it. So let's look now at the first of the two Saul's. He is introduced to us in 1 Samuel chapter 9. In verse 1, we hear about Kish, a Benjamite. And verse 2, 1 Samuel 9 verse 2. And Kish had a son whose name was Saul. A choice young man. All the single ladies, listen up. A choice young man. Meaning he was the pick of the bunch, girls. And a goodly Nice natured, good character. Moms, the perfect son-in-law you would look for. Right, Sheila? That sounds good so far. What? A choice young man and goodly, which gets better. There was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. He was the talk of the town. And it gets better. This is only his nature personality and character. Now watch the physique. He had a remarkable physique. It says and from his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. Now listen closely. These are facts not made up. From 1 Samuel chapter 9 verse 2 Procter and Gamble in the United States has named their shampoo head and shoulders and we pay money for it. They should pay royalties for the publication of the word of God. They should pay royalties. That's where the phrase head and shoulders comes from. So ladies, not only was he a gem of a guy, he was stood head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. What a good beginning. I remember my mom saying when I was a kid, some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouths. And I used to be envious. Now I envy no more. If they don't know Jesus, my friend, all is lost. You can live in Buckingham Palace or number 10 Downing Street or on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. If you don't know Jesus, you're finished. I used to be envious, but envious no more. Or Rashtrapati Bhavan, just to bring it into local context. You know, with Saul, with such a flying start, on top of all this, as if it weren't enough, God tells the prophet Samuel, in such and such a day, such and such a place, such and such a young man is going to come to you. And I want you to take your anointing horn with oil and pour it on his head and anoint him to become the first ever king in the history of the nation of Israel. Nobody else can ever take that place. Israel had the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the judges, Gideon, Jephthah. Now their first ever king. You can't really, how can you top that? And Saul comes one day, Samuel anoints him, in fact gave him the lion's share of the portion of food over the prophet. However, with time, slowly, 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 Saul began to backslide. Let me share something. When a person backslides, now these fingers are pointing back at me, so, but we're all in the same group, all right? When a person backslides, 
they know best. So I'd like to give us a little, take us to our middle school chemistry lab and do a little litmus test. How backslidden am I? You remember the blue litmus paper, you dip it and if it turns red, the stronger red, the stronger the acid, right? Still the teacher, can't change now. How backslidden am I? Here's our litmus test this morning. After I'm done, I generally will hand the microphone to the pastor. Let's say he fails to have an altar call, invite people for salvation. You think, oh no. That's going to take another five minutes. He's going to plead with people to give their life to Christ. Oh no, three people raise their hand. That's another 12 minutes gone. My mutton biryani is getting cold. If we think and feel like that, I am completely backslidden. Because the Bible, the word of God says, for every sinner that repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. They are throwing a party. In fact, there's an old Christian song from my time in America. When the United States became a nation, there was no angelic celebration. But you know, when they rejoice, when one sinner comes to Christ, that's when the angels rejoice. Yes, that's when the angels rejoice. But if I'm thinking, oh my word, more people is going to pray, is going to ask us to pray after him, friend, then I'm backslidden. Little litmus test. Now don't look at me so stunned. He backslid slowly, slowly. Then the word of God came to Saul, King Saul, through the prophet Samuel. You will fight against the Amalekites and you are to destroy them utterly. Man, woman, boy, girl, sheep, donkey, camel. Even I thought, wow. I'm sure you've thought of this. That's pretty tough. It's one thing to kill the soldiers. Why the women? Why the children? I had to learn. Now listen closely. In the Bible, Egypt is a type of the world. Out of Egypt I have called my son. God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. We, before we committed our lives to Christ, before getting saved, we were in Egypt, so to speak. And God has brought us out of Egypt. And right now, if you know Jesus, you are in the promised land, figuratively speaking. So Egypt stands for the world. Why did God tell Saul through Samuel to utterly destroy the Amalekites? Listen, because Amalek, from where you get Amalekites, Amalek in the Bible is a type of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Lying, theft, deception, pornography, filthy abuse of language. God is speaking to Israel and saying, through their new first king, I will give you victory. In other words, has he not given us overcoming power? He says, now I've done that so that you might utterly destroy the flesh. And so, the command is given. The Israelites under Saul go to battle against the Amalekites. They rout, they defeat the Amalekites. They come back, but they spared the king a gag. Now, why would you want a name that makes you feel like gagging? Ah, anyway. They spared the king a gag and some of the cattle and sheep. And now watch. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll try to progress in a linear fashion here. Chapter 15. To see what happens. 13, verse 13. 
And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul said to him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now here we meet Pastor Ashish. Praise the Lord, Pastor Ashish. I have been diligently doing such and such that you... Rec- Saul says, Prabhu ki jai. Or katr, not Saul, yes Saul. Prabhu ki jai or katr kastotram. And the next sentence he utters a lie. A barefaced lie. Or maybe we never done that in Bangalore. Praise the Lord, Pastor Ashish. And next sentence is a lie. We think that by prefacing our statement with praise the Lord, that we have spiritually somehow sanitized our actions. I used to think, Pastor Ashish, as a younger man in those days, you know, this red-hot flame in Pentecostal spirit filled, I would shake hands with someone and we would say, praise the Lord. And if he said, hi, I thought, oh, this guy's backslidden. Listen, better you say hello, but your next sentence ring with the truth than to say praise the Lord and then speak a lie. No, nothing wrong in saying praise the Lord. You hear what I'm saying? But let's live lives that testify to the indwelling presence of a holy God. Greetings, prophet. I have done all that God said. Lie. And Samuel said, verse 14, what is the meaning of this that I hear? In other words, what are you talking? You just said something, but I'm hearing something that contradicts what you are saying. And Saul says, watch this verse. 15. Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites. For the People spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord thy God. And the rest we utterly destroyed. So this is what we call the blame game. When it came to the transgression of the commandment of God, just like Adam in the Garden of Eden, he passed the buck. The woman thou gavest me, she did give me, I ate. If it's at work, we would say, boss, I didn't do it. He did it. They did it, not me. Friend, why don't you go to your boss on Monday and say, Boss, sorry, I blew this. It was my mistake. Let me tell you, your flesh will tell you, don't do that, don't be stupid. Your boss will think, here's an honest man, a person of integrity. I can work with them. They will tell me the truth tomorrow if something else happens wrong. He played the blame game. Anything that's not followed obediently to God is the people's fault. By the way, the sin was the sin of disobedience, right? The word obedience, I can't help, this teacher keeps popping out. Can you spell it with me? O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Nine letters. You know what's the three middle letters of obedience? D-I-E. You must die to your flesh. I must die to myself to be an obedient servant of God. Servant of God, child of God. But we don't want the flesh to die. And so disobedience results. And then the punishment, the wrath of God abides. The blame game. They Now what's the crux of this verse is still left. I purposely read that part quick to sneak it past you. Let's see how many caught it. They brought them from the people, the people spared, to sacrifice to the Lord, your Lord, your God. Who's speaking? 
Saul, is he a believer in the God of Israel? Sure. Who is he speaking to? Samuel. When do you go to Pastor Ashish and say, Pastor, how is your God today? Excuse me? Whose God is it? It's our God, the Lord, our God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. In fact, I still remember, it reminds me of Menachem Begin when he was sworn in as Prime Minister of Israel a couple decades back. In his inauguration, he said, let, he quoted from Micah, Micah 5 somewhere. Let every nation walk in the name of their God, but we, this Israel, will walk in the name of the Lord, our God, forever. Our God. He has backslidden so far. He now says to sacrifice the Lord, you God, you go ahead. Because he has now fashioned a God in his own image. As a result of his disobedience and transgression and sin and iniquity. You know, I have to say it again. A pastor's job is mainly to comfort the afflicted. But I'm not a pastor, I'm a teacher. A teacher's job is mainly to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> The Lord, your God, excuse me. You know, and then he found out about David being anointed to be king. What do you think he did? David was playing the harp one day. And he picks up a javelin, throws it. David has to evade and run for his life. He becomes consumed and inflamed with jealousy. Because the Israelites started to sing. Saul has slain his thousands. David has slain his ten thousands. Inflamed. David now has to flee the palace. Saul is after him. He's hunted down like a common criminal, David is. And one time, when Saul was in a cave, asleep, so were his bodyguards. And God gave Saul into David's hands. Listen, church. David came with his second in command. And the second command said, go finish him. This is the time that God will restore the kingdom to you. And David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Talk to me, please. Answer me. Am I perfect? No. That's, you don't want to say it, but you're shaking your head like that. Say it. Come on. Am I perfect? No. Is your pastor Ashish perfect? Is his wife perfect? None of us are perfect. We all have feet of clay. But God had called, anointed, and appointed Saul and learned from young David. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Neither will I do his servants harm. But for many believers around the world, their favorite lunch, they go to an Italian restaurant and they have what is called roast pastor. David said, I will not touch them. Pray for your pastor if you feel he's off. Go and share man to man, woman to man. Share your heart. But continue to pray and support. David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Watch. But Saul had come to the place where he hunted David like a dog in the wilderness. And you know, the next morning, David was up on a hillock. Saul comes out to continue the next day of pursuit of his enemy in his mind. And David says, my Lord, and he holds this piece of cloth. Last night, God delivered you into my hand, but I would not touch you. I cut a piece of your robe. And you know, for one moment, some lucidity came into Saul's mind. 
And not long before he died, he made a threefold confession. Move over with me now to 1 Samuel chapter 26, just before Saul dies. He says, my Lord, God delivered you into my hands. Guess what? Verse 21, 1 Samuel 26, 21. Saul is so shaken by the fact that he could have been killed, David spared him. Then said Saul, he makes a threefold confession, watch. I have sinned. Bottom of that same verse, last two phrases. And this also is something we heard as kids, but you didn't know it came from the Bible. I have played the fool. Haven't we told our kids, stop playing the fool? Teachers tell you, stop playing the fool. It's straight from the Bible, just like head and shoulders. It's all in the Bible, my friend. I have sinned, I've played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. Quick point about playing the fool. Since we've all heard it from our teachers or parents. In the old days in England, the king had to deal with matters of state with his courtiers. And so to break up the tension, there was a court jester or a clown or a fool. They're all synonyms, same thing for the same person. In fact, sometimes the king would say, my trusty, my trusted fool. It was a compliment. But in the old days, the king was the king and the fool was the fool. Today, this month in Bangalore, I've been to a couple malls. I don't like shopping. I just happen to be there to accompany my wife. <laughs> and one little fellow goes and hides behind the clothes. And her mother's like, Raju, Raju, where are you? Another boy, screaming, oh! I thought, mother, just let me have that kid for 60 seconds. I shall willingly and gladly apply the board of education to his seat of learning. In those days in England, the king was the king and the fool was the fool. But today, not just in America, Australia, England, Germany, but even in India, the child has become the king and the parents have become the fools. I say that without apology. My Bible says you spare the rod, you spoil the child. Flush CNN's advice. Hello. I say that without apology. You follow the word of God, not what some liberal ungodly media tells you. Because if you listen to them, it's fine for homosexuals to get married, as a certain Muslim head of state says. I think you caught what I said. We caught it. We caught it. He says, here's a man who makes a threefold confession. I have sinned. I have played the fool. Instead of acting like a king, I have acted like a clown, like a jester. I have erred exceedingly. That same day, and uh, uh, that uh, they then were... Uh, they had a battle. The Philistines came to fight against Israel. There was no word from God through Samuel. Saul could not hear the voice of God. He then went to consult a witch. A demon worshipping witch. In America, we could call them Luciferians. You talk about backsliding. You can't go any lower than that. What a great beginning. What a sad ending. Goes to consult demons through it. That same, the day the battle was fought, the next day, he lost his three sons, including Jonathan. And then he knew the battle was lost. They would capture him alive and make a mockery of him. He told his armor bearer, take my sword, kill me. Armor bearer would not. So what did Saul do? He took a sword, phew, fell upon it himself, commits suicide. 
where he goes, I don't want to venture there, but I thank God I'm not in his shoes. The word says, how are the mighty fallen? Beware, some of us take pride, and I don't find this in the West, but in India, every fifth person you meet, they say, I have got some royalty in my blood. Please. I'm related to my ancestor, my this. I found out one person's last name, and we checked the definition, that the ancestor was the gatekeeper for some raja. That's the royalty they have. Please, my friend. Through Christ, we are already princes and princesses unto our God. My elder brother is the prince of peace. Hallelujah. What are we clutching under these human straws? Is our self-worth so shattered? Jesus is and must be my all in all. Without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I am nothing. Do you want to know how much I am worth without Jesus? When I die, it will cost them thousands of dollars to extract any chemicals of worth from my body. And those chemicals are worth $29. Just dig a hole and throw me in the ground. Friend, I'm not even worth it. Without Jesus, I am nothing. We are royalty. In and through Christ. Hallelujah. He commits suicide. Do you know what's startling? When David was a young boy, by the power of God, he brought down Goliath. By the way, with regards to that, when Goliath got hit in the stone from David's slingshot, before that, such a thing had never entered his head before. And to the Israel soldiers, to the Israelites, Goliath was too big to hit. To David, Goliath was too big to miss. <laughs> Praise God. But when David slew Goliath, he ran up there, took his sword and cut off Goliath's head. And brought it as a trophy. When Saul committed suicide, the Philistine, uncircumcised Philistines, came and cut off his head and put it in their heathen idol temple. What a contrast. How are the mighty fallen? What a good beginning, but what a sad, tragic ending. I want to quickly move. Oh, let me share this. They spared Agag, the king. Remember? The Amalekites. Remember what I shared with you? What's the Amalek stands for? The flesh. So he's here. I don't know whether he was handcuffed. They may have just had his ropes in those days to tie his hand. He might have thought, oh, the holy man has come. Sanyasi, he'll spare me maybe. I don't know. Samuel says, who's this? Agag, the king. What's this? They killed all the people but spared the king. It's like saying, Pastor Ashish, I don't smoke anymore. I stopped using bad language. But online I'm watching porn, you know. We killed all the kutti shaitans. But the big one is still alive and kicking underneath. Hello! So here's, kutti shaitan means... Small demons for the foreigners here. <laughs> Here's Agag. He's saying, I'm definitely, this bloke will spare me. He's a holy man. Samuel says, bring him here. The prophet, what the king did not do, the prophet says, bring him here. He says, give me a sword. And he says, as your sword has made many mothers without sons, now your mother will be without a son. And Samuel completely flays and hews Agag into pieces. What's the picture for us? God is saying to you and I, you must completely slay the flesh. 
The Bible says give no place to the devil. No, praise the Lord, pastor, I don't smoke. But what you're doing behind your wife's back, who knows? Completely. And Samuel demonstrated that. It was to point out just because we did the small things. No, no, no. This is the big one. You know, my friend, this morning, who your egag is in your life. What is the king of your flesh? The Spirit of God is saying to you today, slay that thing this morning before you leave here. And he has put his spirit within you to make you an overcomer. And so, this was the first song. With a horrible threefold confession. Quickly, let's go to Acts chapter 8. To the second song. Where he is introduced to us. We know him as Saul of Tarshish. And his name is eventually changed to the Apostle Paul. Here's how he's introduced to us in verse 58. Acts 7 verse 58. And they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet. Whose name was Saul. They had to take off their cloaks to be able to fling the stones, you know. So Saul was there, I'll look after your clothes, kill that fellow. Kill him, I'll make sure your clothes are safe. That's how we're introduced to Saul of Tarsus. A man who was very sincere and zealous in what he believed. Now listen closely. Just because a person is sincere doesn't mean they're right. You can be sincerely wrong. It's true. You had a free market economy like the United States. You had a communist country like the Soviet Union. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Just sincerity alone doesn't mean you're on the right track. Be careful. So he had a bad beginning, and on top of that, he got a hold of the Christians, throwing them in prison. Now listen to this. Something would have rattled his cage or rocked his boat when he saw a Christian die. Watch what Stephen says here. Same chapter. Seven, verse 7. In fact, go back to just one chapter, to chapter 6, verse 15. And although the sat in the council looking upon Stephen saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Stephen's face as he testified to the resurrected Christ shone like an angel. I believe that the God of glory, our God, put some Shekinah on his face. They were just zapped. Looking at him looked like an angel. And he spoke with wisdom they could not resist. Finally, they gnashed their teeth and they stoned him. Now watch what happens and what Stephen says. Back to verse uh, chapter 7. Verse 55. But Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And again, he said, verse 56, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing. Now, please, keep thinking with me. On the cross, there were seven different words the Lord Jesus uttered. And the last of those words was, It is finished. There's nothing more he needs to do. It's done, paid in full. He gave his life, shed his blood. The Bible says that after he paid this price, in full, he is now set down, which means seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Positionally, the Lord Jesus is seated at the right hand of his father. I'm sure you knew that, you've heard that before. But what does Stephen say? I see the heavens open. This is the first time in the history of Christianity of the early church, a person is being martyred for his faith. I see the heavens open. 
and the Son of Man standing. May I dramatize it for you? Jesus can't bear this. Daddy, I need to give him special welcome. Got up. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Twice Stephen says, I see him standing. I believe he stood up to welcome the first martyr with open arms. And around this world, even in our native India, hundreds and maybe thousands of ministers and pastors have been martyred for the gospel's sake. I believe the Lord Jesus has got up with joy to give them a personal welcome into the portals of heaven. Saul sees this. He's completely rocked. Still filled with his zeal and hate for Christians, but it's shaken him. He now casts the Christians into prison. He gets letters from the elders to go to Damascus to put them in prison. On the road to Damascus, he has what we call the Damascus Road experience. He is knocked flat on the ground by the power of God. Now, some preachers sometimes in their zeal say he fell off his horse. It doesn't say there was a horse. It doesn't say there was a donkey. Whether he was jogging, sprinting on a horse, I don't know. But God zapped him. Flat on the ground. And says, Saul, Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Then he said something that began to change his bad beginning to a good ending. He was open. He said, who are you, Lord? Now, in Philippians. He says, I'm an Israelite of the Israelites. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees, Hebrew of the Hebrews. He knew the word of God. Who, what is the name of the God that the re- religious Jews worshipped? Yahweh or Jehovah? Yahweh. He knew. Now remember to tell this to all your Jehovah's Witness friends. What do you think he was expecting to hear? And then the voice is, I am Jesus, Yeshua. Whom you persecute. The Emmanuel. God with us. He now gets his spiritual sight. But gets up from the ground physically blind. What a pity that it takes such a drastic action for us to see the light. He gets up and he's led by the hand. In fact, God gave him specific instructions without the use of a GPS. He said, go to to Damascus, to the house of a man named Simon who lives in a street called Straight. Now listen to me, friends. From that day onwards, he never changed his address. He kept going straight the rest of his life. But we in India, we get saved, we go straight, then afterwards, a little bit kumbukonam is coming like that. And wow, your pastor and I have the privilege of both being OCs and so is my wife. She's an OC too. Our motto in Latin is neck, neck, strosum, neck, sinus, strosum. Comes from Joshua 1, 6, 7, 9. Do, do not turn to the left nor to the right, but keep straight on. We sing on straight on, on Catonians on. I had to do that because I'm in St. Joseph's Auditorium. <laughs> that was for fun. But he never changed his address. He kept going straight. Hallelujah. It's time we forsook our backslidings. He loves us too much to allow us to wallow in sin. 
kept going. From now on, you follow. From that point on, watch the change in Saul's life. Wherever he went, he let the chips fly. He invited trouble. He brought revival. He preached the word. He was stoned. He was jailed. He was bitten by a snake. He was put in stocks. He was lashed. He was shipwrecked. And you know what he said? I glory in tribulation. Devil, bring it on. Make my day. He said, he was indomitable. He said, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. My sister, my brother, for the child of God, the blood-washed saint of God, in this life and on into eternity, it's only a win-win situation. You cannot lose. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. What a man of God. By the way, the Apostle Paul got his learning, and praise God, my double engineering doctors, PhDs, I congratulate you all. But whereas he got his education at the feet of the learned scholar Gamaliel, he got his salvation with his nose in the dust at the feet of Jesus Christ. Beware if we lean on the arm of our flesh or our understanding. The word says, let him that thinks he stands Take heed lest he fall. His last instructions to young Timothy, his protege in his second Timothy was, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Redeem the time. Make full proof of your ministry. Let no man despise your youth. Now watch this clincher. The end of his life. The Apostle Paul. He writes 13 epistles. We'll leave Hebrews out. We don't know who wrote it. Of the 13, the last letter he writes is 2 Timothy. And the last chapter is chapter 4. So these are his last words before he's executed. He alludes to it. He said, my time of my departure is at hand. Watch what he says to Timothy. Remember the first Saul? He made a threefold confession before he died. Now exactly a threefold confession by the second Saul before he is to be executed. Second Timothy, chapter 4. Look at verse 6, the proof that he's about to be executed. He said, I'm now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Now comes a threefold confession. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. It's not the person who starts the race that wins, but the one who finishes. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. The first Saul backslid. The second Saul says, I did not backslide. I have kept the faith. I have sinned. I have fought a good fight. I have played the fool. I have finished the course. I have erred exceedingly. I have kept the faith. What a stark contrast. And then, as a powerful postscript, P.S., he adds right on the heels of his threefold confession, verse 8. Amazing, watch this. Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, 
and not to me only, but to all them who love his appearing. Why do you think he adds this? By the way, you study the scriptures, I've been told there's at least five different kinds of crowns. There's a crown of life, crown of joy, crown of righteousness. There's one crown I hope I don't get, it's the martyr's crown. <laughs> but if it comes, may God's will be done. Amen. Wow. Anyway, but five crowns. As a child, I thought, first, Paul says, to everyone who loves his appearing is waiting a crown of righteousness. That means every believer will at least get one crown in heaven. Why does he say this? Because the first soul lost his perishable, corruptible crown of gold, which we hanker after. Gold is simply pavement stone in heaven, my friend. So much for your sonawalas. He lost a perishable, earthly crown. The second soul gained an incorruptible, imperishable crown of righteousness that fades not away. And as a young man, I used to wonder. I, I hope I'm not the only one who wonders all these things. Lord, you are Revelation 19.16. King of kings and Lord of lords. We sing, crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon. What is this saying for me, a crown? Doesn't compute. And then one day the Holy Spirit ministered to me, Andrew, the day will come when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Take your crown. So that when that day comes, you take it off your head and lay it at his feet. What is fit for my head is fit for his feet. Then I said, Lord, give me whatever crowns you want. I will lay them all at your feet. A bad beginning, but what a wonderful ending. So it doesn't matter the circumstances of your birth, your family, your parents, you came from a divorced marriage, whatever. Don't worry. Under the precious blood of Jesus, he does all things well. I want to close with a thought that I just read this week. Remember John the Baptist talking about my crown at his feet. John the Baptist said, I only baptize with water. Who comes after me will baptize with the Holy Ghost and fire. The laces of his shoes are not worthy to unloose. Listen to this. In those early days, when the master came in from out, the slaves or the servants took off their shoes, untied it. Slaves. John the Baptist says, I'm not even worthy to do that. <sighs> I'm less than a slave. Come, Pastor. Otherwise, Lord, I also am not worthy to untie your shoes. I will worship you with my crowns at your feet. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Let's give Andrew a good... God bless you. Thank you for ministering. But let's stand to our feet. I call the worship team up. Let's take some time just to respond to the word this morning and respond to what the Spirit of God's been speaking to us. The Bible tells us, you know, let him who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying.
And as the Lord has spoken to each one of us and just ministered to us, let us take some time to respond and say, yes, Lord, I receive what you've been speaking to me right now. I receive what you're saying to me. And now is the time just to engage with God between you and the Lord right now. Lord, we just pray that you light the fire again in our hearts. For those of us, Lord God, this morning who, who for some reason in some way allowed the fire to grow dim, Lord, light the fire again. Kindle afresh that love for you. Restore us in our walk with you, God. Restore us in our walk with you. The beautiful thing that God tells us in his word, he says, I will love them freely. I will heal their backsliding. God speaks to wayward Israel. He says, I will love them freely. I will heal their backsliding. Maybe this morning, as the word was being ministered to, God just spoke to you straight and said, you know, I'm speaking to you. See where you are. Where you were, you had a great beginning in God. You were walking with God. You loved Him. But then things just crowded your life and just began to grow cold. The love for God began to grow cold. Began to compromise. Began to open up doors that you know you had to keep shut in your life. Began to go down avenues that you know you were never supposed to walk. And this morning, God is speaking to you. He's arrested you. This very moment, His Word says, I will love them freely. I will heal their backsliding. He can rekindle that fire in our hearts. He can reignite that passion. He can restore us this morning. So would you love Him to do that and say, Yes, God, it's me. It's me. Do it for me. Do it in my life, Lord. Do it in my life. Do it in my life. Heal my backsliding. Heal my backsliding. Bring me to where I was and even beyond. Take me. Take me to greater heights in you, God. God can do that. I want to pray that God will heal our backsliding. Restore us. Revive us. Reignite that passion. We're going to wait upon the Lord for Him to do that in our lives. Maybe some of us just need to hear what the Lord is saying. Lay the axe to the roots. Come to a place of no compromise. Let the prophetic word destroy the things of the flesh. And even the things that we tolerate. You've probably heard this. Whatever you tolerate in your life will dominate. So you've got to have no tolerance for the things of the flesh. And this morning, would you make that decision saying, Lord, I want to finish Agar. I want this final blow to be dealt with. So there's one thing in my life that I've been tolerating and you said you've got to utterly destroy it. You've got to utterly destroy it. What you tolerate will dominate. This morning, we're saying, God, 
do this by your spirit, by the sword of your word, by the sword of your spirit. Bring an end to this, Lord. Bring an end to this. God will do it in our lives. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.